the Mad Max Minute presents Waterworld H2O Minutes at a Time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about minutes 47 and 48, which begin with smokers climbing over the atoll walls and end with the Mariner leaping from the gate onto the Trimoran. Our special guest this week, because it is week 24, we are just cruising, haha, through this movie. Anyway. <laughs> Joining us today is Tierney Steele Callahan from Return to Oz Minute, Mash Minute, Neverending Minute, and Joe versus the Minute, as well as others. <laughs> yes, who is, this is an audio medium, but just shaking her head at the puns. Because <laughs> I appreciate a punny title. And so I was like, H2O, oh, this is, you guys are geniuses. And then you said cruising along, and I'm just like, I, I should not be encouraging this. <laughs> There is a veritable ocean of possibilities when it comes to nautical puns. It's true. It's true. Yes. Hi, I'm Tierney. I used to make fun of my friends that listen to podcasts, and holy crap, that feels like a lifetime ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, before we hit record, we were talking about, oh, geez, do I have a complete list? And then you told me that not only was my list incomplete, but there are more titles coming. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. It's a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) I will try to include as many links in my social media posts as I can find to make sure you get full coverage. The best thing I ever did was starting a website that is just me. Here is my (laughs) website. Here are all the links to my shows, to my writing, to guest appearances. So everything is disconnected, but there is one URL to deal with. And every year it comes up for renewal. And I'm like, why do I spend this money? And I'm like, because otherwise you'd go insane. (laughs) (laughs) That's an excellent idea. (laughs) It's a good time. It's a good time. So thank you because I can't remember the last time I watched this movie. And it and the postman had definitely melded in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) I sent you a link to watch the full three-hour version of this movie. Did you get a chance to sit down and watch that, or are you going off of previous experience? No, I sat down and I watched it. I watched the first 10 minutes because at first the link, every time I tried to open it, it was giving me an error message, but then if I didn't touch anything, it would open. So I was like, all right, I guess I'll just start watching this, even though I definitely don't have three hours right now. (laughs) I watched it over... A couple chunks, but I did see the whole thing. And I loved it because I would have just seen it on TV or like someone rented it from Blockbuster or whatever. And I had no idea this Ulysses Cut was a fan edit. That is the most boss thing I've ever heard of. (laughs) So yeah, that was the delight. And then I was looking at different actors and things because I know Kevin Costner, obviously. Yeah. Kevin Costner. And I'm looking at... Gene Triple and I'm like, I recognize her from something, but I'm not sure what. But this is a movie full of, like, that guys. <laughs> oh, yeah, it incredibly is. There's so many people who I don't know their name, and I don't know where I've seen them, 
I know them. Yeah. It's just like, oh yeah, that, that guy. And then I got really disappointed in myself as a movie nerd because I was like, oh yeah, Dennis Hopper, who, by the way, is like perfect in this role. I know, right? Yeah, he really is. I'm trying to remember. I think he's only said like one word so far <laughs> in these <laughs> minutes, but like, listeners, it's coming and it gets really good. And then I was like, yeah, Dennis Hopper is super famous, totally. And I'm looking in his credits and I'm like, <laughs> I have not actually seen any of these movies. So. Oh, same. Same. Yeah. So in his entire IMDb, excluding like clips or like maybe I caught a TV episode he was a guest on back in the day, Waterworld, Speed, and Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all I know of Dennis Hopper. I should not be allowed to like speak about <laughs> pop culture. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even seen Speed. <laughs> I have seen Apocalypse Now. Yeah. I'll take credit where it's due. <laughs> In a very small way, I've seen Apocalypse Now. <laughs> there we go. There we go. But yeah, that I was going through. And the only thing that brought me more joy was looking up Michael Jeter. I'm assuming he says it like Derek Jeter. I mean, that's how we pronounce it. Cool. That works for me delightful person great in this movie i just missed him in these two minutes i was so sad because his like it was an accident is like (laughs) oh yeah his performance is amazing now tierney you have a toddler who toddles around yeah (laughs) did you recognize michael jeter from watching like sesame street and stuff like that I did not realize that at the time, but as soon as they said, oh, it's Mr. Noodle's brother, Mr. Noodle, I went, oh, yeah. yeah I, I see him all the time. So, yes, that was an absolute delight. And the one thing that made me sad was that the Ledger guy who your listeners have not met yet, but who is coming very soon, was, I think, the thing I loved the most in this movie. He made me laugh so hard. The minute he started speaking, I just fell in love. And the actor, like we said, is one of those that guys where I'm like, oh, yeah, I totally recognize him. And then I was looking through his IMDb and I'm like, none of this is ringing any bells. And that just made me a little sad. But yeah, I'll give a shout out when you eventually meet Ledger Guy. (laughs) Yeah. Here in the clip that we are watching today, we start off with the preamp. He is standing up on the wall of the atoll and he does that thing that Hollywood does where, oh, no, I've been shot in the arm. I better fall down. and. We see the smokers pile over the wall after that. Yeah, it's a great technique. That way, they don't actually have to physically do anything to him. Because of the way he turns and falls. Yeah, nothing actually happened to him. Like he didn't he's actually sh- have to get hit by anything. They didn't have to do any mm-hmm. blood makeup. Nothing. Yeah, so he's totally playing possum here. We're going to see him pop up later in the movie. I wouldn't be surprised if the character is playing possum. That he wasn't actually <laughs> hit by anything. I mean, that was my implication. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I buy it. I absolutely buy it. It's okay. You're not alone. Because I was just distracted by the fact that all these people should be dead so many times over. Oh, for sure. I mean, just look at the background of all of this. You've got the wall that has these, I don't know, dinner plate size holes in them. (laughs) Everybody should be dead. And he's just sailing towards the gate. And then he draws even more attention to himself by shooting at Nor. It is the least subtle escape ever. (laughs) Yeah. There's no sneaking out of this situation. No. Just gonna sail right through the middle of it all. And somehow, through the magic of movies, 
not die many times over. <laughs> Let's just hope that they're all more concerned with everybody else than they are with me sort of situation. But let me shoot the main bad guy to make sure that they are aware who's on this boat. <laughs> well, of course. We saw Nord show up in last week, and here at the top of these clips, he is continuing to lead the smoker attack into the atoll. I have the YA novel that I have not referenced lately, but in the book, it's actually Helen who first notices that the Nord is coming through the wall. And I would like to read a quick excerpt from this. Helen just noticed that the Atollers were tragically outnumbered, and it says, quote, A cruelly handsome figure in shark hide, blonde hair so long it brushed his shoulders, strode down a walkway. He was leading a swarm of smokers towards the trading post barge. The Nord, Helen thought. So he had been the smoker spy. The elders had consigned the wrong stranger to the Organo Cemetery. But they had had little time to regret it. Even now, on the far walls, smokers were slaying them. That reads like a romance novel. <laughs> As if the Nord is the kind of guy that you would see on the cover of a bodice ripper. Yes. Yeah, which yes. isn't terribly far off. <laughs> we don't get a real good look at his body. He's quite layered up. So I can't judge if he would make an appropriate book cover. But just his hair and his confident manner. Yeah. He is a bit suave, smooth, which is what you need out of spies. Mm -hmm. He thinks he could be on the cover of the romance novel. Yes. <laughs> Whether yes, or he not does. he could, we don't know. But he definitely thinks he could. <laughs> he fully fits the description of a bodice ripper, as in he is a guy who would take a knife and rip a bodice. But whether or not the owner of said bodice would want him to do the ripping is something else. Yeah. I love this little, what's the opposite of a bromance moment between the two of them? They lock eyes across the atoll. <laughs> Only it's, we're going to kill you, each other. Yeah. They have a moment. They do have a moment, and I kind of want to label it a little bit bromancy, <laughs> except whatever the opposite is, because now they have built this history of this back and forth. The last time we saw the Nord, he was slipping away under the cover of darkness, having stolen the Mariner's boots. Oh, yeah. That capital crime. <laughs> I want to describe his grin in a certain way, but I also don't want to put in the effort to edit the way that is described. <laughs> but, yeah, the three-part interaction between the Nord and the Mariner, where they have their face off, at the bar, they have the exchange with the Mariner in the cage, the Nord on the boat, and then here. And it's this nice little three-act thing. And I feel like there should be a final showdown between these two somewhere else in the movie. And we never get it. And I'm not sure how okay I am with that. Yeah, that is a shame. There should have been more. Yeah, there needed to be a resolution to their relationship. Because... Yeah, we have the deacon, and he is the villain of the movie, but the Mariner doesn't really care about the deacon. Oh, yeah. He's not personally invested in whatever is up the deacon's butt. Mm -hmm. Not yet, anyways. He certainly does become so, but he is personally invested in the Nord. Yeah. He has a reason to dislike him, a vendetta, if you will. Yeah. You don't try to make somebody buy you drinks and then steal their boots. It's a good rule of thumb. 
in any society. Exactly. Yeah. You don't have to be on a water world to know that. Yeah. Well, and even later when Enola does that whole speech that they use like in the trailer <laughs> and the whole nine yards, he has no name, blah, blah, blah. That's to the Nord. <laughs> she does a little bit of that with the Deacon, but there is definitely a cut of this movie where the Nord is the main bad guy somehow. <laughs> and or they kiss. I don't know if there is a trope title where you have a initial rival bad guy who is just completely supplanted by the big bad evil guy and pushed to the wayside, but I'm sure it exists somewhere. I just didn't look it up. Oh, that's going to take a lot of thought. (laughs) That's okay. I had a movie trope thing in this little section that I was like, I should look this up. And then I was like, "Eh, I'll just throw it out into the world of... Is there such a thing as a female Wilhelm? Because you know how like he does the kick and the smoker goes right off the boat that was trying to climb up? You hear a female scream. It's the Wilhelm scream, but it's not because it's a girl. (laughs) I don't know if that has been used in a bunch of places. If it is just background noise whenever a society is overrun. (laughs) Well, see, now I'm just thinking about if they packaged up the Wilhelm scream like deodorant and then they just make the packaging pink. The Willamette. Yeah. The, yeah. The, <laughs> the Willamette scream. it costs scream. more to license yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It, it costs at least a couple of cents more just because it is for women. <laughs> because as much as people want to deny it, the pink tax is a thing. But anyway. You know, this movie did a lot better with that than many movies because this is a post-apocalyptic society things are really crappy for women Mm -hmm. (laughs) i liked the way this movie approached that where you got the crappiness but also it's a kevin costner 1995 film so helen looks gorgeous Mm. (laughs) it's one of those things it's not like a feminist statement or anything but it has a whole act of the movie that is super creepy about women in the society and it sucks yes it sure does but it's well done i'm so sorry julia that is gonna be a (laughs) long bunch of episodes yeah (laughs) even two minutes at a time that's gonna take a while to get through it is and you know doing a series of george miller movies i'm certainly no stranger to women being treated poorly in cinema But this one is going to last for a long time. Yeah. You were already having trouble with the bog, and then we're going to go into that situation with the other drifter. Oh, boy. That's going to be a long one. And even earlier in this atoll, when the elders are like, we just want you to impregnate our daughter, and then you can go. And it's one of those things where it's like, this is crappy. That girl looks terrified. But you understand how in this world, what they're asking makes sense. Yeah, there is a thought process to it. They have a reason for asking. It's not just for funsies. It's not like they are selling him a child bride. Right. Almost the opposite. (laughs) They only want one thing from him. Yeah. (laughs) And honestly, if they could get that one thing from him without the physical part, if they could do it scientifically. That would be fine. They would do it. They they would. They don't care about the sexual part. (laughs) Yeah. We just need your seat. And then they hand him a little cup. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That would be very different. Turkey baster? I was just going to say, is there a turkey baster still in this society? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it is their most prized possession yeah. because they're very hard to come by. The problem with turkey basters is that the bulb that provides the suction is rubber or silicone. Down. It's going to break down. It's mm-hmm. going to dry out. Mm-hmm. And then you're not going to get any suction and <laughs> might as well use a funnel and gravity. Which, honestly, like a tube, a funnel, and gravity? <laughs> I, theoretically, I suppose it would work. Yeah. I appreciate the world building in this movie, in a way. Uh, you guys are well-versed in that world building is kind of what your franchise is, too. But I appreciate a movie that takes the time to explain, this is how they're dealing with population. This is how they're dealing with this. This is how they're handling that. And then also in this I am all for any super competence on the boat. I love it so much. What's coming to mind is the opening credits of Top Gun. And mm-hmm. I recently made the joke, I don't know why people bother making porn when there's the opening <laughs> credits of Top Gun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like growing up on like boat movies and stuff like that, anytime Kevin Costner is like flinging himself around the boat, but actually he's doing this thing and like he's doing three different things at the same time, but you don't realize it until it's all done. That made me so happy. And so there's a lot of good stuff. And then Anola's wow as it goes by just captured my heart immediately. It was the most perfect little kid response to seeing this. <laughs> there was a moment in last week's episode it happens right after the smokers blow a hole in the wall and the mariner is standing there watching them come through. And how much did you love how he was able to instinctively duck below the boom as it swings by? Yes! This was the first time I'd seen the movie since learning to sail. And that moments like that really got me. <laughs> it's like, that is beautiful. Can you hear it? <laughs> And then later when he's like, my best friend, the boat. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I would have liked to see the behind the scenes footage for that scene where he ducks the boom. Because <laughs> somebody had to have been like, it? okay, three, two, one, duck, hold it, hold it. Okay, back up. Like someone had to have been talking him through it. <laughs> Counting like a dance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For some reason, what popped into my head was all the stories of Viggo Mortensen and his horse and mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings. And I was like, Kevin Costner and the boat. Like, he just took the boat. <laughs> I have to bond with it. <laughs> the sailing stuff got me. And then also, when he does climb up on the wall and he's getting the other side that he doesn't fit through. And Nola's instructions. Mm-hmm. That just took me right back to being a little kid helping you can hear the air quotes in my voice i hope like do this do this do this fast do this fast it's like you're doing nothing here and i will straight up tell people like oh yeah i helped my dad rebuild our house like we did everything together and i'm like i was probably not that helpful as an eight-year-old with drywall (laughs) it has been a while since the last time we did a actor introduction and I bring it up because we have seen the Nord several times in this movie, and I have yet to introduce us to Gerard Murphy. Seriously? Oh. We haven't done him yet? Seriously. <gasps> wow. I should have been doing a crappy Irish accent this entire time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Gerard Murphy was born October 14th, 1948, in Newry Country Down, Northern Ireland. He was the son of Peter and Dimpna Murphy. He was the oldest of three children. 
He began his career on stage with the Glasgow Citizens Theatre and went on to have a long association with the Royal Shakespeare Company, where he was an associate artist appearing in many productions, including playing Hal in Henry IV, which opened the Barbican Theatre. He branched out into television work with roles on such shows as Doctor Who, Minder, Heartbeat, and Father Ted. He also narrated the BBC radio version of Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. So there's a Lord of the Rings connection there. Yeah. Of Murphy's 39 acting credits on IMDb, only seven of those are for feature-length films. They begin in 1985 with Barbara Rennie's Sacred Hearts. In the 90s, Murphy, of course, appeared here in Waterworld, and he also did some voice work for the 1997 Mary McGuckian film This is the Sea. In the aughts, Murphy played corrupt Judge Faden in Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins, as well as appearing as Shawshank in Carol Moore's Pump Girl in 2009. Murphy's final film was in 2012 as the dad in Tom Skolnick's The Comedian. And he is not William Defoe. Nope. <laughs> no matter how many times my brain wanted to tell me he was. <laughs> On stage, Murphy portrayed Hector in Alan Bennett's The History Boys in a national tour co-produced by the West Yorkshire Playhouse and Theatre Royal at Bath and directed by Christopher Luscombe. In addition, he played Salieri in a 2007 production of Amadeus directed by Nikolai Foster. His final Shakespearean lead was King Lear in a production by Ireland's Second Age Theatre, which opened at the Wexford Opera House, directed by Donacad O'Brien. In 2012, although he was suffering from spinal cord compression due to prostate cancer, Murphy appeared in Glasgow Citizens Theatre's production of Crap's Last Tape by Samuel Beckett, which was his final stage appearance. He died on the 26th of August in 2013 in Cambridge of prostate cancer, which he had battled for more than two years, and he was 64. In an obituary written by Michael Coveney, it is said that despite the acclaim garnered by appearing in film, quote, his province was the stage where his flame burned with magnificent intensity over four decades from the Glasgow Citizens Theatre and the Royal Shakespearean Company, where he was an associate artist, to the Royal Exchange in Manchester, the West End, and the Almeida in Islington, end quote. That's a lovely thing to say. Yeah. His top four on IMDb include Waterworld, which is the first one, Batman Begins. He was in five episodes of The Scarlet Pimpernel and one episode of Doctor Who in 1988. He does seem to be a theater actor. Like you can see it in his face and the way he acts that he is a theater actor. So it doesn't surprise me at all that most of his body of work is stage. He's really playing to the back row. Yeah. Now I'm picturing Hector from the History Boys, but with this hair, and I <laughs> cannot handle it at all. <laughs> I love that play, but this look does not work for that. I'm so sorry. I just out of the corner of my eye saw that my microphone went crazy. So <laughs> doesn't it seem like it was not that long ago that Waterworld would just be on TV every so often? Oh, all the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it'd take like a whole day by the time they finished showing it. So that was great for the network. Buy the rights to one movie and get an entire day of programming. <laughs> oh, yeah. It clips so nicely into that. Okay, we've got a two-hour block that we need to fill. Do we have sports? No. Okay, put on a movie. <laughs> I really appreciate the amount of debris that has fallen onto the trimaran from the explosion that just happened last week. 
especially how the Mariner has to go to such lengths as to kick all of that stuff out of the way. <laughs> and just the way that he throws that harpoon or spear or whatever it is, and then when the Nord looks at him and he holds up his fingers to show, <laughs> oh, I almost had you. I was just off by yeah. that much. I love it. <laughs> and they love each other. <laughs> I like this escape because... It gives you all the tropes of like, oh, are they going to make it? And it's like, well, they must because there's a lot more of this movie to go. Mm -hmm. But they do a good job of like, well, obviously he's going to get through. But then the jet ski explodes against the gate. So it's like, oh, well, he's going to get through because the oh, wait, no, it's not enough. I had to rewatch the specific section because when he started yelling, oh, it's not wide enough. I hadn't quite put together exactly what the problem was or what was exploding where and getting through. <laughs> yeah, things are happening really fast. I had to watch it a couple times to really, yeah, understand mm -hmm. what the problem was, when the problem occurred, and what they were doing about it. You want them jumping across the top of the gate as it's opening, because that's super cool, but you have to really be paying attention in a way that you aren't when you're just watching the movie to get, other than they're opening the gate, what's going on? <laughs> Like, where the problems are lying. I would like to point out the child endangerment that Helen has apparently been perpetuating all of Enola's life in that, why the hell can't this kid swim? Because just drop her would work. If mm -hmm. you just drop her into the water, and then she swims over to the trimaran. We all go on with our lives. But no, we have to have a heartwarming moment of teaching her to swim later. Yeah. How could she not know how to swim? <laughs> it's like that one conversation I had with Julia's brother-in-law when we were first dating. When Julia and I were first dating, not me and her brother-in-law dating. Anyway, but he's been in the Navy for the longest time. And it was during that initial meeting that he told me that you don't have to know how to swim to be in the Navy because the idea is you don't leave the boat. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Like, you're not supposed to be in the water if you're a sailor. That's the Marine's job. But still, like, why would you join the Navy if you don't already know how to swim? And why would you exist on a world of water and not know how to swim? <laughs> yeah. I have said for many years, because for many years, according to YMCA summer camp, I could not swim. But I was very indignant because I knew how to not drown. And I thought that meant I should be able to take a canoe out. Because if I fell in the water, I certainly knew how to not drown. I just couldn't rotary breathe. Whatever. Okay, so long story short, there is a difference between not drowning and swimming. Fine. She lives on an atoll that floats in the water. Their house. Like, I don't... This seems... Horribly dangerous. And I'm now a parent. And let me tell you, if I was like, oh, my child doesn't know how to walk on land. That's just not something that I thought was important to teach him at any point. I would be arrested. <laughs> this society has shown signs that they are a proper society, that they have organization. I mean, they have population control for crying out loud. How do they not have a swim teacher? <laughs> who takes kids into the water that is very it's calm and protected there in their little yes. lagoon and they have a roped off area where the kids learn to swim how is this not part of society because <laughs> they eat out of the ocean people go in the water mm -hmm. to fish and 
work the nets and whatnot, fishing rods, all that stuff. If she is to be a fully functioning member of society someday, she needs to know how to swim, Mm -hmm. just like everybody else. All those other kids know how to swim. Is it possible that there is a swim teacher, exactly as you have proposed, but Helen is a homeschooling anti-vaxxer mom. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I was going to suggest like a Rudolph situation. Like Enola is just the social outcast and all of the other Atoll kids don't let her play yeah. any reindeer games. But no, the whole anti-swim class homeschool mom idea. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, that is... I don't want to entertain that, but now it's out there. <laughs> To be fair, in 1995, they were definitely thinking Rudolph. (laughs) (laughs) And that is absolutely the vibe you get off those other kids. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I find that fascinating. That the Atoll does have those resources available. They just exclude Enola. Because no matter what condition society is in, they're still crappy. We're still human and it's in our nature to have insiders and outsiders. And Enola is an outsider. And her grandpa's weird, so obviously mm-hmm. our kids can't play with her. Right. <laughs> it's not relevant to anyone except me in that I watched a three-hour movie thinking the name Enola must be really symbolic and the Enola gay in World War II and where the atoll was situated and blah, 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 blah. And then I got to the end and someone was like, it's alone spelled backwards. And like, are you, what? <laughs> <laughs> This is the problem with having been a history major who specialized in World War II. I was reading all the symbolism into it, and they're like, it's alone, because she's alone. And I'm like, oh. (laughs) Throw that girl over the edge. (laughs) (laughs) Toss her in the water right now. Just drop her! (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. (laughs) Enola gets her little moment to stop and marvel at the Mariner's trimaran and how it's gone through this amazing transformation from trawling mode to sailing mode. And I love how Helen swoops in and says, no, we don't have time for this. (laughs) Oh, this child, her priorities are all messed up. Tierney, one of the reasons I had you on this episode is because while it's not Enola centric, we get a lot of Enola action with her emoting and running around and jumping and climbing and yelling and all this other stuff. She's being a little kid. You have experience with that (laughs) (laughs) going through the entirety of Return to Oz. Boy, howdy. (laughs) I was very confused throughout this movie of Enola's age, how children age, where she is at society-wise in this movie. Because the phrase, she's just a little girl, is uttered (laughs) so many times And she's eight or nine, I'm guessing. So she is a kid. She's definitely a kid. But she is protected in this way as if she is four. But then at the end of the movie, she would need to be so much older for her to be remembering and talking about things in the way. Like, it just, it makes no sense. One of the things that I wondered (laughs) if you guys had come across doing this project is the opposite of what usually happens to movies by minutes podcast because usually you watch a movie and it flows along and then you analyze it one minute at a time and you go well this actually makes no sense whatsoever (laughs) and i wondered if Waterworld might have the opposite problem where each minute makes perfect sense it is firm in its convictions it is logical it all makes sense but then when you watch three hours of them all put together you're like 
but, but wait, how could she not know how to swim? But wait, this makes no sense whatsoever. But wait, why on earth would this society have ingra- But wait, how are they refining oil for God's sake? Like, it just... <laughs> Usually, the seams show when you break it down minute by minute. But this seems to be more the seams show when you look at the big picture and are like, this makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> I think that's exactly how it's going for us. <laughs> episode by episode, we're like, this is fantastic. The yeah. action is excellent. The story that they're building, the world that they're building, it's all great. It's exactly what happened when we talked about Thunderdome. It is, exactly. <laughs> but the movie as a whole, people think of it as goofy and weird and something to be mocked. Ruined by children, Ruined I think is a phrase children, I usually hear. Yes. <laughs> But minute by minute, we're like, yes, we are all about this. Yeah. yeah. There is nothing wrong with this movie. <laughs> and I will say, I take umbrage with ruined by children. Ruined <laughs> by adult men acting like children. <laughs> much more likely from what I read about this film and the making of it. For sure. Because Anola is not the problem here. <laughs> no, she's not the problem in this movie. She's lovely. She's kind of annoying in these two minutes and in future but annoying in the way that most little kids are mm -hmm. but i yeah. think that's why i was having trouble pinning down like how old is she supposed to be and then i'm thinking <laughs> well tierney maybe children but you're different like this could be a whole like there's a way to write one sentence into this movie and explain like mm -hmm. oh she's eight we we're just talking about lord of the rings hobbits age at this pace this age means this this <laughs> age means this and Tolkien worked that all out and it was fine. <laughs> I am on record as not being a fan of Enola. I think she's obnoxious. This minute, however, these two minutes, I find her less obnoxious. <laughs> I won't go so far as to call her useful. <laughs> no. Because no, she's not. I appreciate her trying. She's acting more grown up than she usually does. Because at least she is pointing the mariner in the right direction. She does manage to pull herself up from almost falling into the water and drowning because she can't swim. And she tells the mariner what he is supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So she has some function. Whereas most of the rest of the movie, she has no function whatsoever. She is just annoying. <laughs> she is just a, a MacGuffin. What's that thing about women and if they could be replaced by a lamp? You haven't written a good character. Mm -hmm. Yes, there is some if, of this movie if there where there was a lamp with this map on it. Exactly, it work the same way. She is an object to be carried around and to be interpreted. Okay, not that it's my only goal for this podcast, but by the end of this project, I want you to have a better appreciation of Anola as a character. That is my goal. I am or willing. One of them. I am willing to make that journey. But we have not even come upon the most annoying parts of her yet. We're over 45 minutes into this movie and we're not even out of the atoll yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have That's not yet fair. made it to the worst part. And it phases in because I was just listening to a podcast talking about a different movie with a kid in it. And they were saying like, she has now seen things. It was the podcast Friendly Fire talking about the Steven Spielberg War of the Worlds movie. Okay. And they were saying what frustrated them was, is that one of the Fanning sisters plays the daughter? Yeah. And she's supposed to be 10. And what they were saying is the frustrating thing is 
at some point that 10 year old sees a river of dead bodies and the movie in no way addresses the fact that they're still treating her like, oh, we have to protect her. Like at one point the dad has to kill someone and he's like, cover your ears and shut your eyes, you know, like, and, and hum a song. And they're like, if the daughter then rolled her eyes and was like, dad, with everything I've been through today, <laughs> this is not like, please kill the bad guy. That's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But the movie still acts like she's this little girl who needs to be protected. Like, she's this little innocent. How could this little innocent go through these horrors? And it's like, this little innocent has been over it for, like, two days on this journey. The movie has to understand that a 10-year-old in a post-apocalyptic situation is not going to act the same way as a 10-year-old in 2005 normal, everyday suburban life. And I kind of wonder if this movie runs into that a little too, where it's like, does she get what's going on or not when things get creepy for her and her mom? Because sometimes it seems like she gets why she is being sent down below. But then other times it's like, you need to stay up here. Why? Do you not? The walls of the atoll did not seem very thick. Right. These kids should have some sort of understanding (laughs) of what's going on. We need to see the educational structure for these kids. When does sex ed start in Waterworld? What does she know or not know about what's going on? You're right, because sometimes she seems to be like, okay, yeah, I got it. No problem. I'm going to go hide down here. And then other times she's oblivious. Yeah. Well, as far as sex ed is concerned, that would only even come up as a conversation topic when someone dies. Oh, that's going to mess you up real bad. The people in the atoll have an odd view of that sort of activity because it only happens when one of them dies and presents a vacancy on the atoll. Okay, so then sex ed is even more important because you are never going to stop adolescents from wanting to have sex. You don't have to teach them that it exists for them to figure it out. (laughs) They don't need to see that stuff on TV or hear about it on the radio or hear about it from their friends. It's in us. It's what we do. (laughs) If they don't want people having sex and procreating for population control, which is entirely valid, I'm totally on board with that, then they have to teach people, okay, this is what you're feeling. And this is why you cannot act on it in a certain way. Here are other ways (laughs) that you can act on that. So I think sex ed is even more important for this type of society. Rick, this is not where you saw this episode going. But more or less important than swimming. More. (laughs) More important than swimming. Yep. Rick, I have no money to give you, but I would give you money if I had it for you to drop in the audio from Clueless. Like, is it true you can do it in water? Yeah, maybe it's the same class. Yeah, maybe. I certainly hope not. But maybe. it's like your PE teacher also being the yeah, sex ed teacher, or the actually, football coach being the sex ed teacher. Very well with my uh, public education. Yeah. So it's like the coach in Mean Girls, where he's like, "If you have sex, you will get AIDS, or you get pregnant, and you will die. And you will die. Yes. Yeah. Will die. Where it's in this way, it's if you have." sex you will get pregnant and everybody on the atoll will starve and die yeah (laughs) Uh, so the mariner we're talking about kids 
He is standing on the trimaran. He's shouting up at Helen that she needs to move faster. You are going too slow. And Helen and Nanola leap across the gate and he's like, come on! Like, he's very impatient right now. And things are only held up further by the arrival of this unmanned jet ski that drifts into the gate, bumps up to it ever so gently, and then explodes because it's Hollywood. Yeah, that was complete Hollywood. This whole atoll attack, though, is fantastically done. All right, so I want to get back into the book real quick because I think the book handles the explosion of this jet ski a little bit better. Not possible, but let's try. (laughs) In the book, the Mariner has just yelled at Helen and Enola to jump. It says, They jumped. As they did, gunfire stitched its way across the wreckage of the crashed jet ski. It exploded in a mini fireball that rocked the gate, knocking Helen and Enola off balance. They toppled off the walkway. The child screamed. In the book, they say that there are bullets that hit the jet ski and then it explodes. In the movie, nah, just kind of bunk and then boom. The jet ski and Anola and Helen are not ever in the same shot, I don't think. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, I agree. I don't think so. They definitely do a Star Trek rock. (laughs) All right, and everybody shake. (laughs) Yeah, it's all for cool. It's all for the explosions and the fighting and it's well done for what it is. Mm -hmm. It has silly things like that and there's going to be sillier later, but sometimes they're going to be real fun. Yeah. So you just kind of have to go for the ride. You got to keep upping the stakes. It's not enough that people are shooting at the trimaran. It's not enough that the smokers are killing everybody in the atoll. You also need to have the boat get caught on the gate and have Helen and Enola hanging off the side of the walkway. We need escalation in our action (laughs) scenes. And the Mariner just wedges the trimaran into the gate because what else is he going to do? I like that he looks at that explosion and there is a moment of like, ooh, maybe I'll just fit through. (laughs) It's possible. (laughs) Yeah, I have my questions about that. So he goes for it, or the momentum of the ship moving forward goes for it, and he doesn't really have that much control, and he wedges himself in there. Yeah, he's so close at that point. Even if he hadn't wedged in there, he wasn't going to make it through without serious damage to the ship anyways, because there's a diagonal line between the far side of the ship and the mass. There are Mm -hmm. lines going Mm -hmm. up and down on that diagonal that would have been ripped apart by the upper half of the unexploded door. Half of his lines would have been broken. It seems foolish that he tried. Did he think, if I can get through it, I can retie those, and then I can just leave this woman and child here up at the top of the gate (laughs) I would not put it past him (laughs) to find a way to ditch them, because he totally does. I kind of wonder <laughs> if that was the thing like rope I can retie but them <laughs> I can leave here <laughs> I think that was what really threw me because when I thought about this movie I very much remembered it as yeah the mission is to get her to dry land or she's leading them to dry land and that really is as far as the Kevin Costner character is concerned that is an accident that that happens mm-hmm. that is never at all his plan for how this movie is going. (laughs) Yeah, he just wants to stay alive. And from here forward, a lot of his actions are just dealing with the consequences of the deal he had to make. 
and looking for ways to get out of it and looking for ways that, oh, no, it can fall apart. Like, oh, all by itself. You guys died. Oh, no. <laughs> That's the thing. Most of the people we meet in this movie would just kill them and be like, done with that now. But he doesn't. He wants it to, like, happen to them. <laughs> he doesn't. He's more looking for a way that it could happen on accident. Yeah. And he doesn't even, like, try to make it happen on accident. He would just be okay if it did happen on accident. (laughs) The last thing that kind of fits with this whole, like, Mariner's just trying to survive nonsense is the best trivia I read about this movie was that Kevin Reynolds asked Steven Spielberg for advice about shooting on water, and Steven Spielberg wrote back, don't. (laughs) (laughs) And yet they did. They did. <laughs> and how well did that go for you? Oof. I do wonder if Steven Spielberg's just like, I tried to warn him. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, only so. one of the Atoll sets sank. Come on. <laughs> I just loved like, and then in the trivia, it's like, and then this person almost died this way. And then this actor almost died this way. And mm-hmm. this actor almost died this way twice. And like, I'm like, like, oh my God, this movie was not meant to be, guys. Let's not worry that Kevin Costner was almost lost at sea. Let's not dwell on that. <laughs> Especially because Kevin Costner gets to do so much cool stuff. Like, he gets two Errol Flynn moments in this chunk that we're watching. The first, of course, being where he unhooks the line and the weight bag pulls him up and he flies through the air from the deck of the trimaran up to the walkway. And I love Helen watching him do this because she watches him fly up to the walkway and she's like, what? And then he leaps onto the walkway, runs past her completely. And then her expression goes to a what? (laughs) Yeah, that's what I got, too, was that she thinks, oh, look at this man. Look how a amazing he is coming to save me and then he doesn't <laughs> goes right past her it's so great i appreciated all the feet close-ups i'm so sorry to talk about lord of the rings so much but i thought about the hobbits every time they did a close-up of his feet running around hey they put all of the money and lore into those feet they have to play a significant part in the movie mm-hmm. obviously And then when he jumps against the sail, I just lost it. I was like, all right, I don't care what a disaster this is. That was cool. It's such a cool move. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. Because he runs past Helen that second time, and he just yeets himself right off the end of the walkway. Yeah. (laughs) It's so cool. And he doesn't do the whole stick your knife through and let that slow you down, because obviously he'd ruin his sail, but the way he slides down it and then he does that whole you know superhero landing on the netting at the bottom Mm -hmm. and it's just pretty cool (laughs) (laughs) complain about him all you want because heaven knows we do but it's just plain cool the mariner being up on the walkway does give enola the opportunity to climb up helen like a ladder and (laughs) contribute something to the situation because the mariner doesn't know what he's looking at yeah he makes it to the gears before Enola does and he is just kind of pawing around at stuff (laughs) and this is my favorite moment of these two minutes 
Anola <laughs> runs up and she's like, push it, push it, push it. You have to push it. Push it harder. And he's like, I am pushing it. Oh, he's not. Okay. He's not even close to being in the right position to push it. That's not all because the Mariner has a knife and he has been switching between holding it in his hand and keeping it in his teeth. And when he yells at Enola that he is, he's got the knife out and he's pretty much brandishing it at her. <laughs> yep. As it if, is. what's he going to do? Stab this kid? Yeah. He's like Harrison Ford with his finger. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, though, the other day, my kid said, hey, mommy, I stopped counting at a dozen times in less than 20 minutes. And I love this kid. I brought this child into the world. He's the most important person in the world to me. But at that moment, I would have brandished a knife. I was like, if you say, hey, mommy, one more time, I will kill you. You have to stop. I'm losing my mind. Drop that kid off a walkway. Okay, make sure there's a net underneath him first. But Obviously. Yeah. Well, he knows how to swim, right? Oh, my gosh. My kid who does not live in Waterworld and is only two and a half has taken swim lessons. Yeah. <laughs> you can start teaching little babies how to swim. Yeah. Bite me, Helen. <laughs> they know enough not to inhale a lung full of water. Yeah. No, they don't. But they learn. <laughs> <laughs> so Enola's instructions are, let me see. I've got them all written down. She shouts that. And then she says, come on, push it, push it. Hurry. She's going to fall. Push it, push it hard, push it hard. She's going to fall. Okay, okay. Now pull this, pull it. Come on, go, go, hurry. That's my favorite salt and pepper song. Isn't yeah, that just the yeah. most constructive thing, but also push the it, most inadvertent Push it cover. real good. Yeah. <laughs> I would have paid so, especially in 1995. Oh, man. Oh, the that perfect. so amazing. Like, yeah. Just have them come in as a 23rd hour cameo up there on the tower. Ugh. Push, push it. it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's no specific direction because obviously she's jumping up and down. She's pointing. She's yelling. She understands how the gate works. She has yeah. seen it done a yeah. bunch of times. But it's not like she is the person who runs the gate, you know? Yeah, she, as exhibited now, is not strong enough or big enough, tall enough. She can't reach things to actually do it. So... I imagine her being a lurker <laughs> that she just likes to sit up by the gate because it's got a good view of the atoll and the sunset and party things that she can draw. And she just watches people. Yeah. Which, okay, is handy because now she knows how to use the gate. But that's obnoxious. I wonder if that's <laughs> why Rick Aviles was the one in the public meeting that was like, we got to get rid of... The girl. Because she was probably, already annoyed by her. She probably hangs out at the gate and he's like, listen, I iced Patrick Swayze. I'll do the same to you. <laughs> oh, now I'm just picturing a movie where it's this. Only not the Mariner and Gills and Web Feet and all that, but it's Patrick Swayze. And he can still <laughs> do that move on the sale because <laughs> he can do anything. <laughs> yeah. But he and the girl go and have adventures. <laughs> we glossed over the smoker on the jet ski who went through the blown out gate and tried to get on the trimaran and oh, then yeah. kevin costner ran over and kicked him off into the water <laughs> if it had been swayze in that situation you know he would have roundhouse kicked him and it would have been real cool 
Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Plus, you could have had a scene later on where Patrick Swayze, as the Mariner, is swimming with Helen and she swims at him and he lifts her up over the water because they're practicing for the big dance competition. I mean, they're so close to that <laughs> happening already. <laughs> Is there a movie where Patrick Swayze does like Tai Chi or have I just completely imagined that? Oh, I might have imagined that. Doesn't he do yoga on the beach or something in Point Break? Probably. Isn't yeah, there something maybe like that's what I'm thinking he's of? He's like doing movement and formations with his body and he's yes. being backlit by a sunset. That is exactly I can, like, what that. I was picturing. Yes. But on the, but on the track. It might be break. Point Break. <laughs> Thank you so much for having that because all I had was Patrick Swayze sunset <laughs> moving slowly. We need to invent parallel dimension hopping technology so we can go to the timeline of existence where Patrick Swayze was the Mariner and we got to see all of those amazing things in this movie. In that reality, I think the easiest thing would be to replace Kevin Costner with Patrick Swayze, meaning all Kevin Costner's roles are now Patrick Swayze roles. Ooh. So we get the bodyguard, oh. Prince of Thieves. We'd get the postman. We'd get Boulder. Field of Streams. A uh, Field of Streams? Oh, no, Field, field of Dreams. dreams. Field Sorry. of Dreams. Um, Don't cross the, the dreams, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> he did a bunch of baseball ones. Yeah, he did do uh, something like a uh, Tim Tin Cup. Oh, was that was him that, or Tim it was Robbins? About golf. Oh, yes, it was Robbins. about golf. The problem with replacing all Kevin Costner roles with Patrick Swayze roles is, wouldn't it therefore follow that Kevin Costner would get dropped into all of the Swayze roles? Yes, I do not want to watch a Dirty Dancing with Kevin Costner in it. No, that completely invalidates the world. We'll stay in our main timeline. What year Kevin Costner are we talking about? <laughs> it does make a difference. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I think Helen is having some serious reconsiderations of who she has made a deal with when she is left hanging, literally. Not once, but twice. Yep. Twice. <laughs> Coming up in a future episode, she is literally going to say to the Mariner, can I trust you? And so far from what we've seen, it's more of a shrug. Yeah. Maybe. Which is the same kind of reaction that she got from him when she proposed the deal. Mm -hmm. He yeah. hesitated and was like, sure. That is so noncommittal. Yeah, she does not get to be surprised. <laughs> this is par for the course with him. The romance story of this oh, movie barf. is... <laughs> Frustrating. Yes. I'm both excited and apprehensive to start getting into that stuff. I think things for us as movie reviewers are going to change once we are done with this action scene. Once we are on the trimaran with just the three of them for mm. an extended period of time, all sorts of gross, complicated, controversial things come up. I think I might actually miss the atoll at some point. <laughs> right now, I'm ready to leave it. I'm ready to like move forward with the story. Yeah. But to do so, we have some gross things to get through. Mm -hmm. There are some cool things, too. There is some excellent stuff coming up. Yeah. 
Well, here at the tail end of the episode, whenever two drifters meet on the open ocean, it's always good that something is exchanged. So, Tierney, could you tell the lovely listeners where they can hear more of the stuff that you have made? I have made a lot of stuff. If you go to onesteelsister.com, O-N-E-S-T-E-E-L-E-S-I-S-T-E-R, that has links to all my podcast shows that I've done and my guest appearances. And soon it will have a link to This Means Something, which is a movies by minute about Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which is what I am working on now. Very nice. Yeah, sounds like a good one. When I saw a Spielberg quote in the trivia, my eyes like immediately went to it. That's (laughs) all I think about these days. (laughs) (laughs) We hear you. Yeah. As for us, we will be coming back next week. The Trimoran will escape the atoll. The Hellfire gunboat will get taken for a ride and the Deacon will take a dive. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. Waterworld was written by Peter Rader and David Tui, directed by Kevin Reynolds, and presented by Universal Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute. And like us on Facebook by searching MadMaxMinute and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash madmaxmin. Thank you for joining us for Waterworld episode 24. We'll see you next time.